had sent this letter, but it was all for naught because his letter was actually from God and his regret was unnecessary because there was no uh, disease that he needed to repent from, so to speak. It was a false alarm. It was false guilt. But that's not the only way that we experience false guilt. There are actually those who oppose guilt at a much deeper level than that. They oppose guilt from the sense of rejecting the idea of sin and its horrendous proportions in relation to God. Real guilt, real regret is good and should never be avoided. But guilt that um, we feel that we want to try to avoid because we don't want to deal with sin is unhealthy. And so that leads us to the second point. First of all, godly regret is good. Secondly, that leads us into why it's good. Godly regret is what leads to repentance. You can't actually really get into the process of repentance without a regret that is godly, that is from the word of God, that has been laid upon your life, that reveals that you are missing the mark in which the way God wants you to live, and you say, God, I've offended your name and distorted your design, and I don't want to live that way. And when you experience that, it leads you to what he calls repentance. And in verse 9, Paul says, Uh, It says that Paul's joy was not based on the fact that he made them feel guilty. He didn't feel joy because he really socked it to them, you know. Paul didn't feel a sense of joy because he found out that the Corinthians really felt bad about what they did. He said he felt joy because of the repentance it produced in them, that they actually changed. Paul said, I rejoice not because you were grieved. That's not what I'm happy about. But I rejoice because you were grieved into repentance. That's the end that we're looking for, is actually engaging in the process of repentance. And then verse 10 states the general truth from Paul when he says, Godly grief produces repentance. You see, repentance is actually the catalyst for Christian change. There is no change in your Christian life. There is no growth in Christian life without active repentance. And so without repentance, you're not going to grow. And so let me, do, um, let me try to clarify what repentance is not. Now, typically when you teach, you don't always want to say what things aren't. But um, I think it can be healthy for us to hear a few things of what, what repentance is not. Because we see this in a lot of our lives. I believe Satan is very active in deceiving us as believers, knowing that repentance is the pathway to our transformation into introducing us to false repentance. Things that feel like and look like and seem pious but are not real repentance. So let me give you a list of things that are not repentance. Repentance, first of all, is not a promise to quit sinning. That's not repentance. Repentance is not when I wake up in the morning or I go to bed at night and I feel a sense of burden on my heart and I say, God, I promise I'm not going to do that again. That's actually not the act of repentance. Just a promise to God, say, I promise I won't do it again. In fact, um, John the Baptist is the one who said it most probably poignantly when he said, bear, you guys remember? Fruit worthy of repentance. Meaning, let me see in your life that you're doing things that are actually different. So when we feel burdened by our sin, guilt and regret, just promising God that we're going to change and promising that we're not going to sin is actually not the act of repentance. That's more in line with the act of confession. 
that where you own, God, I'm not living the right way. God, I see that my life is not aligned with your holy word and I need to align it. And God, I'm going to make a vow or a commitment to try to align myself with you. That's more in line with the idea of confession, but repentance is not the promise. Secondly, repentance is not just quitting one isolated sin. So you may have come to Christ because you had a glaring sin in your life. Maybe you had, um, you know, some sort of financial problem or addictive behavior problem, or maybe you had a lying problem or a stealing problem. Maybe you had some major problem in your life and you came to Christ and you knew you needed to get your life right. And quitting one sin is actually not the work of repentance. The work of repentance is actually the Christian turning from all of sin. And as you can see, as we put it that way, that repentance becomes the marching orders for the Christian's entire life. Luther got this part right in all the stuff that he was wrestling with in his day and age when he said all of Christian life is repentance. So repentance is not just on the front doorstep. It's not like the front porch time you spend with Christ before you walk through the door of baptism and then, okay, God, I'm sorry, I've repented, and now, uh, you know, the things I've done in the past, I'm sorry for, and I'm buried into Christ in the baptism, and now I'm forgiven. Repentance becomes the continual walk of the Christian. When you and I repent, that means that we turn from its sin in its entirety um, to continue to walk towards God. The third thing repentance is not, Repentance is not the hiding of our sin. It's not the hiding of our sin. There is no spiritual prosperity in being secretive about our transgressions. Nothing good comes from that. If we can hide from our brothers and sisters, if we can hide from our family members, our neighbors, if we can hide from even ourselves like Adam and Eve did when God said, what is this you've done? And they said it was him and it was her. Even if we can hide from ourselves, there still is no possible way to hide that from God. There is no blessing in being secretive about our sins. In fact, the Bible says our sins will eventually find us now. Short of repentance, sin actually finds no washing away, no forgiveness. Later, um, Peter would preach this in Acts chapter 3 when he would call people to repentance so that the times of refreshing may come, but he said your sins will be blotted out. So repentance is not the hiding of our sins either. Now let me give you the fourth one I think is really important. Repentance is not just sorrow for your sin. The feeling of sorrow over your sin is not the same thing as repentance. It, it's necessary. It um, precedes it. But they're not one and the same. So when you feel remorse wow, I should not have lied today to my neighbor. Wow, I should not have um, cut that person off and screamed at him out of my car. Why did I do that? Wow, I, when you feel that sorrow for what you've done, that's important, but it's not repentance. For men to come to repentance, they have to mourn over their sins, and this mourning must be godly. And that's why I, we separated at the very beginning that there's a difference between godly grief and worldly grief. And let me point out the basic difference. God, let me start with worldly. Worldly grief is sorrow over the way you look because you sinned. 
Worldly grief is embarrassment about how you look, your image, your reputation. And you look back and say, ah, oh, what does that person think of me? And what does so-and-so think now? And what have I done? And what worldly grief is when we're worried only about our name. Godly grief is the sorrow we feel over disdaining God's name. And here's the deal. You and I really won't have the catalyst to change when all we worry about is what people think of us. You just won't find enough motivation to really change because let's say I do something tonight uh, that is just a complete bonehead move and I'm super embarrassed in front of two or three people and I can't believe I said this thing and I drive home and I'm like, Anthony, you're such a knucklehead. Why did you embarrass yourself in front of these three or four people? I'll eventually find three or four other people that don't know that story or not, I'm not embarrassed in front of. And that fear, that worry that I've, uh, what I've done in front of those people will quickly subside because I found new people to not be embarrassed in front of. Feeling sorrow worldly is just worried about your situation. Godly sorrow is when we're concerned about what it's done for the name of God. And here's why that drives us to repentance. Because if I do something inappropriate tonight, let's say I say a harsh word to you. And I'm driving home and I'm like, you know what? Why in the world did I say that harsh word to Barry? That, you know, Barry and I are friends, and we've known each other a long time. And if I'm just worried about what my name is, the next time I see Barry, I'm going to butter up to him and hope maybe he'll like me more. But if I'm worried about God's name and God's reputation and God's image, I'm going to call Barry that night and say, Barry, I'm sorry for what I said tonight. I would not want you to, you know, be hurt by that or experience that. And that action of calling, that action of connecting and saying I'm sorry and making it different is where repentance really takes its root. Lastly, as it kind of fits into this, number five, repentance is not just sorrow. And also repentance is not just saying I have sinned. That's not what it is. Repentance is the actual turning away from and renouncing that sin and going in another direction. You've probably heard the phrase that uh, this taught before that repentance is actually borrowed from boating, uh, which was meant to be using a rudder in a boat. And you'd be going one way and you turn the rudder and it would make your boat turn exactly 180 degrees and go in a different direction. That's what it meant to repent. And so repentance is actually you living, behaving differently, acting differently. And so for these Christians, um, for their repentance, Repentance for them was, you see, as he says, I see in verse 8, that this letter grieved you only for a little while, but then it drove you to actually change. You see, here's how kind of the cycle works for us. We become aware of our sin. Maybe he becomes aware, maybe somebody tells us, maybe we just are convicted, maybe we reflect on our day and we realize what we've done, the thing we've said, the action we've taken, we're, we're frustrated by that, we wish it, we didn't do that. It doesn't line up to how we were supposed to live. The next step you have to take is confession and ownership. I have said something to Barry that I should not have said. It maybe could have hurt him. The next step is to try your best to make that right. And then the next time when faced with the opportunity to cut somebody off and yell at them or to tell a lie or to say a harsh word or to gossip, when you're in that moment, when you can do that behavior again, you stop and you say, wait a minute. That's not who I am. And when you turn to God and not the old ways of whatever you're falling into, that's when repentance starts to take hold in your life. So, 
Let me give you um, two very practical applications and we'll be done tonight. Number one, when it comes to repentance, I think we as Christians in our relationships of fellowship and discipleship have to first of all be willing to cause godly sorrow. Sounds kind of strange to say that, right? Like I'm telling you to inflict pain upon people. I don't mean to uh, wake up today and say, who can I hurt? Who can I cause pain to? But you probably have most likely three to four relationships, maybe two to three uh, in your life right now of people that are more than just your church acquaintances. People people that are more than just the people that you see on Sundays and Wednesdays and you ask how work's going and you ask how their life is and you ask what's going on in their vacation plans this summer and and you just catch up. You probably have two to three people in your life, maybe in your family is where they are, maybe outside of your family that you know on a level just a little bit deeper. Maybe they're the people you have dinner with on Tuesdays. Maybe they're the people you call on Friday when you got nothing going on. But you probably have some people in your life. And eventually in those relationships, there will be opportunities to express back to them like Paul did here to the church in Corinth. I think there's a better way for you. Or even simply, hey, what you said last week or what you did last week, it really concerned me. Or it really hurt me. You see, that's socially uncomfortable for us to, to, to be in a relationship where we tell somebody, hey, what you've said or what you've done concerns me, worries me, has caused me some hurt. I value our friendship and I want it to continue. And I know that that's not actually the kind of person you want to be because we share a faith. And I just wanted to tell you that, that I'm concerned about this and share that with them. You know what? We, we call that being honest with each other. But do you know what the root word of honest is? I'll get it out. You know what the root word of honest is? Honor. And so to be honest with somebody means I'm going to honor you with the truth in hopes that we will have a relationship after today. You see, some people see telling the truth as like, I just don't care what they think. I'm going to let them know. I'm just going to tell them the truth. Well, you might tell them the truth, but you might not be being very honest. Being honest means I'm going to tell you the truth in a way that honors our relationship and honors you and honors that I hope that we have a relationship in the future. And if there are some things in your life when you recognize people that you love and care about that, oh man, every time we're at dinner, man, they just they kind of are really negative or man, they just, they're gossiping a lot or you know, they've been kind of, um, a little bit frustrating and they've been kind of hurting me with their words lately in those relationships to be honest means to share with that person a truth that says I want you and I want me and I want us to be better and I want to share that with them I think we should take a note from Paul's courage to be willing to do that and you see that Paul even experienced a little bit of a heavy heart and I want to warn you that when you engage in these relationships where you're being honest with each other and growing together in love and in, in the spirit Um, you might be a little bit concerned about that. But take heart, pray about it, ask God to guide not just your words, but your spirit and your attitude. Be willing to follow up and love each other, but be willing in your relationships to be prayerfully led by God as a vessel to help people repent. Secondly, this plays in conjunction with that. Not only should we be willing to um, allow people to feel godly sorrow, godly regret, but this plays into it that we also need to be willing to accept godly regret. We've got to be willing to accept that. 
So put yourself in the place of maybe the church in Corinth and receiving this letter from Paul. How would we react to it? Would we read this thing and be like, who does Paul think he is telling me I should be doing this or that? He doesn't run my life. Is, is that how we would react? Put yourselves in the shoes of the people um, that maybe you're concerned about in your life. You see, in our lives, in our close relationships, we should actually be experiencing holding each other accountable and helping each other grow. Repentance actually shouldn't be the thing that we go, oh, I'm going to come forward tonight. <laughs> that actually is not what repentance should be. Repentance should be a practice that we as brothers and sisters in Christ engage in on a regular basis, helping each other grow to become more like Jesus Christ. And so on these two points, uh, I want to encourage both of us, to, all of us, to be like Paul, to be willing to hold people accountable, the people that we love and care for, and to be like the church in Corinth, to receive that from people, to be open to receiving that. You see, feedback only comes to those who are open for it. And if you're not open to any feedback, if you're in your life only have relationships that feed to you things that you want to hear, but you don't have any relationships feeding back to you um, information that can help you grow, we've got to open ourselves up to that and be willing to it because godly sorrow will cause repentance. And repentance, as Paul said, leads to salvation and ultimately he says life without regret. Isn't that really what all people want when they lay near their deathbed? To look at their life and say, I have no regrets. And a life without regret is not a life that says, I never made a mistake, or I knocked it out of the park and I was amazing. A life without regret is one that was, I was willing to change and grow and repent and become more like Jesus Christ. If you've got an opportunity to repent now, uh, the opportunity stands always. Uh, we're going to stand and sing number 684 with Nick, and uh, we'll be here at the front if you need us. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid out somewhere beyond the blue. Angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world. 